Hey everyone, Dr. Hanisha here. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, Mahan Health with Dr. Hanisha. Mahan literally translates to great in Sanskrit, and it only makes sense to have the absolute best when it comes to your health. My goal is by you listening or watching this podcast, you're getting just a little bit closer to achieving Mahan or great health yourself. This podcast is all for you, so please make sure to comment what you'd like to learn more about so I can get a guest on the show who's an expert in that field, or I might even talk about it myself. I do see patients and clients all over the world, virtually and in person, in Columbus, Ohio. So make sure to book your free 15-minute phone call today to see how you can start achieving Mahan or great health yourself. Today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview a great mentor of mine and esteemed colleague, Dr. Leanna Standish, and we talk all about psychedelics and more specifically, ayahuasca and ketamines and their potential in cancer care. Dr. Standish is a neuroscientist and a naturopathic physician living and working in Seattle, Washington. She holds faculty appointments at the University of Washington School of Medicine in the radiology department, as well as at Bastyr University. She specializes in integrative oncology and neurology. She leads cancer research cancer research teams and holds an FDA IND for a phase one clinical trial of ayahuasca, a psychoactive Amazonian tea. Dr. Standish is board certified in naturopathic oncology. Her research is focused on the Asian medicinal mushroom Trimedes versicolor in the treatment of breast and prostate cancer, functional brain imaging in the treatment of brain cancer, and the development of integrative oncology outcome studies. New projects using IV resveratrol and IV curcumin to treat cancer are also being developed through her. She has provided adjunctive naturopathic medical care to hundreds of cancer patients and has worked collaboratively with Seattle area oncologists to, brought, to provide integrated conventional and complementary and alternative medicine care. A founding board member of the Oncology Association of Naturopathic Physicians, Dr. Standish was board certified in naturopathic oncology in 2006. Her recognition by the oncology community as an expert in naturopathic medicine is evidenced by her being voted one of Seattle's best physicians in the Seattle Metropolitan Magazine in 2002, 04, and 08. She has been a member of both the NIH and the Department of Defense study sections for scientific review of CAM research in cancer. Dr. Standish has served as a CAM oncology advisor to MD Anderson's Cancer Center as well. So as you can see, she has done so many things and she's been practicing for quite some time and has an amazing amount of just knowledge and information to and wisdom that she can uh, impart on us. And so I am so grateful that she came on the show came on the show. Dr. Sandish is one of my absolute favorite humans on the planet and seriously one of my greatest mentors. And I'm so grateful for her. Um, she was one of my supervisors at, at Bastyr in med school. And I take her teachings with me as I continue to practice throughout. I think about her teachings almost always. And um, it's because she is just such a beautiful soul and a phenomenal doctor because she treats each patient as if they are family. And I remember when seeing that she did that every time she'd be like, okay, if this was my sister, what would I do? I remember just being so drawn towards that because that is exactly the way I think all doctors should be thinking and the way we should um we should approach any any patient at all. Like if this was family, how would I? How would I? What would I do? You know. Um, and so I, I appreciate for her for that so much. But then also she provides the most scientifically advanced um, 
research to back up all of her recommendations. And then she does the research herself. And so I just have the utmost respect for her. And right now she is actually looking for funding for her research study in the area of ayahuasca and cancer care. So uh, I'm not going to ask you all to donate, but I am going to ask you all to share this episode with Tim Ferriss because he is someone who is absolutely fascinated with this area of research and has the means to help support this study, whether it's him himself or um, he he knows people. So, so if we can get him to listen to this episode and understand what Dr. Standish is trying to do, maybe we can get these studies going and really make true advancements and real strides in cancer care. So please support me in doing that. Um, otherwise, uh, I... Let's get on to the show. Uh, make sure to leave comments below on what you thought of the episode and reach out to Dr. Standish or myself after the show if you have any questions or would like to support the study in any way. All right, enjoy. Hi, Dr. Standish, how are you doing today? Hi, Venetia. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I was just telling you uh, before that you were one of my mentors and I'm so grateful that you were here on the show with me today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So let's get right into the interview. Uh, the first question I ask all of my guests is, what is your journey? What is your story towards how you got to naturopathic medicine? Because I mean, all of our stories are unique and so much fun uh, to learn about. And I actually don't know your story. So let's, let's talk about it. What's your story? Wow. Okay. I don't think I've ever quite told the story. Oh, really? Um, how I got to na into naturopathic medicine is I was at University of Washington on a postdoctoral fellowship in biophysics and physiology. And a friend of mine came to visit from Findhorn community in Scotland and said, oh, and I, I'm uh, visiting me in Seattle said, oh, I'm really interested in this place called Bastyr College, because it was a college then. And, um, and so he asked me to drive him to Bastyr College, which was this very tiny um, school at that time. This is now in the 1980s. And I went into the tiny library and I was fascinated by the books that were in there. There's books on homeopathy, there are books on acupuncture, things that I had never learned about uh, because my training was all in neuroscience, you know, and, and biology and scientific materialism. So I was very fascinated. And then I was asked to be the research director at Bastyr. Um, this is now 1987. And I said, yes, even though it was a tiny little job. And it was the AIDS crisis. And so the first research question that I thought Bastyr should answer was, whether naturopathic medicine had anything really solid to offer the AIDS crisis. So set off doing research on various antiviral herbs and, uh, and just wellness therapies, emotional therapies, um, herbal therapies, uh, hyperthermia. And uh, so that was the beginning of, of my interest in naturopathic medicine. And, um, and then, but really, I want to tell you what happened before that is when I moved to Seattle, this is what I never heard of naturopathic medicine. And I woke up one morning and sat bolt up in bed and said, oh, I'm supposed to become a naturopathic physician. And I, that's, that happened well before this visit from the friends. So 
um, I feel like I've been called to it. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, definitely. This is definitely your calling and I absolutely love that. Uh, what a cool story. I love it. Um, okay, so what drew your interest towards oncology and uh, working with patients with cancer? All right, so what I was asking was, um, what drew you towards oncology and working with patients with cancer specifically? Ah, yeah, the reason for that is I've always been fascinated by terrible, deadly diseases um, and the diseases of our time. So when I was your age, it was AIDS. So it was, nobody knew what AIDS was, nobody knew what caused it. People, young, beautiful artists, young men, young women were being killed. So I, I was very drawn to public health crises. And then, um, and then cancer is just something that is such a big fear factor in our culture. Everybody, including myself, is very afraid of getting cancer. So, and then I just started finding myself seeing cancer patients and wondering once again, could naturopathic medicine have anything to offer people with cancer? So that started, you know, a long, long journey of learning about everything, the biology of cancer, all the chemotherapy drugs and how they work, and then what natural medicines. And that led me to studying the immune properties of mushrooms, uh, particularly the mushroom called Tremetes versicolor, mm -hmm. which um, we studied in various cancers, especially breast cancer. So the idea then, and I think it's still true, is that cancer is partially an immune disease. There's a problem with the immune system. And so one of the theories was, well, what can we do to enhance the immune system ability to identify and kill cancer cells? And so that's when I started researching uh, mushrooms, in, including Trimetes versicolor mostly, and did some clinical trials to show that it improved immune systems in cancer patients. And, and then more recently, um, I've become very interested in the mind-body problem of cancer. And there's more and more information coming out about people with cancer, especially women, um, there's an association of adverse childhood events with um, the um, risk of developing cancer before the age of 50. And so I was just fascinated by the influence of psychological trauma on the immune system and therefore on uh, disease manifestations. So one of my big parallel interests over the last 20 years has been how to uh, apply psychedelic therapy to the healing of trauma. And um, I originally, uh, when my first real experience with uh, psychedelic medicine happened in South America, where it's legal, and I sat in a circle and drank ayahuasca, and I was then in my uh, 40s, and I just was so impressed by the power of this medicine to alter my perception, my state of health, my, what is that delicious word you started with? The word for health? Mahan health. 
Mahan, like Mahan, like, oh my God, the vibrancy that that kind of experience in a group especially produces mm -hmm. is really profound. So um, uh, I've uh, been working on figuring out how to bring ayahuasca through the Food and Drug Administration process and uh, eventually apply to the Food and Drug Administration to be able to do clinical trials. Um, and my goal ultimately is to be able to study the efficacy of psychedelic medicines in cancer patients, especially cancer patients who have advanced cancer, stage four. I'm particularly interested in those patients. Mm -hmm. And um, I love I love that you put it all together so well uh, because those were pretty much all the questions, uh, a lot of the questions I had for you, uh, but. Yeah. In terms of your experience with ayahuasca, uh, what could you elaborate a little bit more on what that was like for you? And um, yeah. I mean, I know well, you said it was like an intense healing what the experience. Was yeah, sure. Let me tell you how the story of that. Um, can, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I want to tell, uh, uh, the inner, the connection is, um, and so I, what I wanted to talk about was, um, my actual personal experience. I think that's mm -hmm. what you wanted yes. to know about. So, mm -hmm. so my whole life, I've been really interested in the mind body problem. Like the question of like, do we really have a soul? What happens after we die? What is consciousness? Is uh, is the brain is the brain the source of consciousness, or is the brain inside of the mind, or vice versa? And it's always since I was a little kid, I was very interested in that. And my first psychedelic experience um, provided a really deep answer to that. And my experience was after drinking um, I don't know about thirty milliliters of this tea. It's about forty-five minutes later, I woke up. I had my, I was in my 40s and I had never really been fully awake. And what do I mean by that? I mean awake to the complexity, beauty, overpowering intelligence of the universe. Um, mm -hmm. And if you've never had that experience, it's hard to describe. And you only need to have it once to realize that that is so, that experience is really important for perfect health. So I want to come back to the concept of, you know, what is great health? Mm -hmm. And great health, um, we don't know whether it starts in the body or it starts in the mind. But mm -hmm. for, for me, what, all that we know is our experience. So if you don't feel well, you aren't well. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, like, it's all about feeling, really. Like, how do we know that we help patients? And the answer to that is you can do research, and I, and I do research on, on how long do my patients live with stage four cancer and getting survival data. Does this stuff really work? You know, IV vitamin C, mm -hmm. IV mechanical medicines. Is it, and that's one thing. But the most important thing is that your patient feels better. Mm -hmm. And feeling is such an important part of medicine. I mean, you know, in cancer, your tumor can shrink, but you might feel horrible. Right. So, and so, and sometimes when we're healing, we have to go through a process of feeling horrible. Right. Mm -hmm. For how long? You know, otherwise known as a healing crisis. But 
how long should you feel horrible before you can expect great health to come to you? So I'm very interested in that. And that's why at Ames Institute, we're using psychedelic therapy um, because I think it's going to make a big difference on how people feel, mm -hmm. not only about themselves, but their relationships, and then also about what their true nature is. Like people, some, a lot of people go through their whole lives and never find out what their true nature is. And if you don't find out what your true nature is, I don't think you can have great health. Yeah, I completely agree. And I like what you said about like how there is some level of a healing crisis where you, you, a lot of times you do need to suffer, but for how long? Right. And, um, that is something that I tell a lot of my patients too. I'm like, this is short-term suffering for long-term wellness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and that's common. Like we've all been through our healing journeys at least. And we're obviously constantly going through that healing journey. It doesn't really ever end. And so there's always points and dips in our healing processes. And, um, and it's important to be aware of that, but then how much of it is just suffering like constant I know, suffering. I know. And it, what you say reminds me that when, when we drink ayahuasca, most people will have a huge purgative event and with yeah. nausea and vomiting. And that's considered a really important part of the healing journey. But it's uncomfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable to be on your knees retching into the dirt. Yeah. But it's necessary. But then the question in medicine, well, how long? And, and, and you know, I think about vomiting from chemotherapy. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and, and cancer medicine is changing so much. You know, there's all these new immune therapies coming out, targeted mm -hmm. therapies. Um, naturopathic physicians are using uh, tumor uh, genetics much more to direct their natural therapies. You know, this whole field has gotten very sophisticated. And, um, but for me, uh, the mind-body thing is just so important. And what I'm hoping we can do here at Ames is offer safe psychedelic therapy. We use ketamine, which is a legal, safe drug, um, to induce the state. And the, the state that um, we aim for is called ego dissolution, right? where you have an experience where you are aware and conscious, but the sense of that little eye, you know, that worries about um, her makeup and what she looks like on the video and, and her clothes and um, the little neurotic thoughts that we all have, that just drops away. And that ego dissolution is associated, I think, with um, clinical benefit. So Ames Institute is devoted to figuring out if that's true. So our hypothesis is people with serious cancer that undergo um, deep psychedelic therapy with a psychotherapist and a physician are going to have better survival outcomes and higher quality of life. Mm -hmm. and, and that their clinical status will improve. That's the hypothesis and we'll find out. So how long are they in this state once you give them the dose? Well, ketamine, the psychedelic medicines vary by the duration of the effects. So mm -hmm. ketamine is a wonderful drug because it's very short acting. So the psychedelic experience <clears throat> ranges from two to three hours. And, and then people are fully recovered. And uh, unlike there's Iboga that's used in Africa, that's a three-day experience. Yeah. 
and ayahuasca is an eight to 10 hour. And so the duration, and I imagine a time when we physicians will have an array of, of safe, standardized psychedelic medicines that we can use with our patients and we know what they are and they're reliable and they're pure. And some patients need ketamine. Some patients ultimately, I think psilocybin mushrooms are going to be approved and some patients will do better with that. And it's gonna be a wonderful time to be a doctor in the future. You're a lucky girl. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very excited for the future of medicine for sure. Uh, so in terms of the different types of psychedelics, is there um, a way that you know or you've, uh, from your research and your background, you've been able to figure out who would do better on certain, yeah. with certain psychedelics and who would do better right. with others? That's a really good question. I don't think we're there yet. Okay. But so right now in the United States, the only legal psychedelic drug is ketamine. So we're learning a lot using that drug. And eventually, uh, ayahuasca will become legal. And, and um, if I have my way, there'll be available standardized ayahuasca product for mm -hmm. physicians and trained psychotherapists to use in psilocybin. But we don't know. It's been, uh, psychedelic research has been suppressed mm -hmm. since 1970. So we're talking about 40 years of suppression and now there's this real big emergence of research so we don't know and there's big centers at johns hopkins now and nyu and it's um it's a hugely interesting area yeah definitely and do you feel like okay so when you talk about standardizing the these psychedelics do you feel like that would change the experience significantly or or at all um, compared to the whole herb? Because as we know, there are so many benefits of having the, the entire plant medicine. Right. I mean, with all of our naturopathic remedies and things like that, I mean, you could take out the curcumin, but the turmeric itself has so many benefits outside of the benefits of curcumin. That's so, right. That's right. And I want to point out that the ayahuasca that we want, that we are and will develop for clinical trial use is the whole plant. I mean, that's the whole, that, that's what really separates naturopathic um, and natural medicine psychedelic therapy is there's more than just the molecule of dimethyltryptamine and ayahuasca that is important. Mm -hmm. um, there's more in psilocybin mushroom than just psilocybin, the molecule. And most people in the field don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. And um, there's been uh, in, in the 20th century, this idea that you seek out plants, you find out the active molecule, you extract it, you synthesize it, and then you make a drug out of it. The problem with that strategy is most molecules extracted out of context are quite toxic. You know, for example, taxol from the yew tree leaf. Um, and you know, there's plenty of other examples. So no, it's very important. And hardly anybody is doing that work besides naturopaths because we firmly believe in the power of whole plant medicines. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, thank you so much for explaining all that. I feel like that was really helpful. And um, even I have a better understanding of the research that's going on right now. Uh, but one of the questions I had kind of backtracking a little bit. Uh, so you talked about how trauma uh, or unresolved trauma at a young age 
tends to be consistent with a lot of patients who get cancer, especially especially before the age of 50. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that, could you explain a little bit more about how how we can understand what that trauma is and and what people can do to prevent themselves from getting cancer at an early age if if there is a correlation between trauma and and, and resolving that right and a really good question so if there is this causal connection between childhood trauma most of which is unconscious because if it happens before the age of two most people don't have actual memories they just have body memories or parasympathetic nervous system responses or sympathetic nervous system responses. So what's happening is that there's now so much interest in trauma and trauma is now one of the most overused words in our language. Everybody has PTSD. Everybody, every experience that's negative is traumatic. So, you know, Mm -hmm. what is hyperbole, but we're talking about people. We use a score in our clinic when we, um, when we invite new patients to get treatment here, we have a score for ACEs, Adverse Childhood Event Score. And it asks you, I think there's uh, 10 questions, like, um, were you beaten? Uh, were you in a household with someone who was suicidal or mentally ill? Um, things like that. Was there violence in your home? There's a whole series of questions and you get a score. So we ask our patients uh, to fill that out. And then if they have a high ACE score, then we'll recommend ketamine therapy to explore that trauma and hopefully heal it. And, and I've come to the opinion that you can do years of talk therapy, you know, once a week, 50 minute therapy, and you won't get as far as you might in a three hour ketamine session with a good psychotherapist. And, and that's a really important thing to point out is like, it's not the drug itself, it's the context and the therapy that is done around the drug experience that makes it so profound. Right. And could you explain what the experience is like in your uh, research center at Ames? Because as you stated a little bit before, you were in South America. I mean, there is a whole community involvement in those experiences and there's a healer, you know, and so, so it is a very inclusive experience uh, versus uh, what we conventionally do in the States. Mm -hmm. Really, really important point. So um, the way we do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is we have individual sessions and we also have groups where there's a a psychiatric nurse practitioner and a psychotherapist and we do groups. And there is a group effect. We don't know what what significance it has. Um, Even in our ayahuasca trial that meets all the FDA regulations, we're probably going to do that trial in a group too, mm-hmm. right? Very you know, cool. It's a it's a it's a dose finding study. So we'll have um, say four to five people at each dose, and we'll have them come in, and we'll do a group session. And we're set up for uh, psychedelic group sessions here at Ames Institute, in Seattle. Very cool. And actually, that reminded me too. Uh, since there are going to be multiple people in a group, do you uh, dose differently? based on, you know, gender, uh, race, you know, height, weight, you know, things like that? Really good question. For ketamine, it's it's, uh, weight-based dosing. Okay. Um, And I think the dose that we use is something like uh, 1.5 milligram per kilogram. 
However, okay. ayahuasca, when it's uh, administered in the jungle, in the Amazonian basin, the shaman decides what your dose is, you know, based on years of experience, looking into your eyes, whatever. And, and the dose is based on volume, how much tea you drink. And the oh. more tea you drink, from a Western medicine point of view, the higher the dose of dimethyltryptamine is and the higher the dose. Mm -hmm. And the thing about ayahuasca that is important to know is you need both plants to have the effect. You can't get any psychoactive effect if you don't have both plants mixed mm -hmm. together. And as what I, exactly are both plants? Uh, the plant, uh, the ayahuasca vine, the Latin name is Banisteriopsis copii. Okay. Bush that provides the uh, leaves that have dimethyltryptamine uh, is uh, called Psychotria viridis. And okay. it's a dimethyltryptamine that is the main, the main psychedelic component. Um, but you need both um, in order for the drug to be, um, ayahuasca tea to be um, uh, bioavailable orally. Very okay. complex pharmacology. Yeah, definitely. But, but anyway, the, the dose question is really interesting because the way Western medicine works, it's usually dose, uh, milligrams per, per meter square, like in oncology, or milligram per kilogram. And, um, but eventually, you know, the way you are as a doctor, you have an intuition about what the dose should be, right? Mm -hmm. you have a, it's like the same intuition that we use to decide what potency of homeopathic to use. Right. Like an intuitive sense. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why I think it's helpful to have someone who streamlines your health like that, like a naturopathic doctor, because we know you so much better than anyone else, right? The public, there's a public health perspective and there's an average, but then there's the individual. And, and that's what it comes down to is what does the individual need and what, what's going to work for them? So yeah, yeah that's great. Okay, so um, I think that's all the questions I have for you right now. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted our listeners to know about or uh, learn about before uh, we move on to the rapid fire questions? Uh, no, no. Um, just I would I would want um, I would want the listeners to know two things actually. Okay. One is that there is. There is standard care in cancer treatment, but it's not always the case that standard care is good care. And that if you have cancer, it's really a good idea to seek out the consultation of a naturopathic physician. And then the second thing is um, for those people who are really interested in the mind-body connection in cancer, is to uh, read, um, read widely about psychedelic therapy and think about whether it's right for you. Yeah, actually that brought up another question for me. Uh, when, when you say to make sure to seek out some naturopathic care, mm -hmm. how do you feel like naturopathic medicine can uh, play a role in cancer care? I mean, I know it can't, but in which ways can it um, really play a role? Well, there's a, a group of naturopathic physicians that are board certified in oncology and they're called fellows of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology who have 
at least five years of postgraduate training in oncology. So the role of naturopathic oncology, um, for some patients, it's in addition to standard of care. And the way we, we think about it is mitigating side effects, long-term side effects from chemotherapy and radiation. There are a handful of patients who decline uh, any kind of adjunct, any kind of uh, conventional therapy, even including surgery. And I am a big fan of surgery. I, I think that if a tumor has developed and you can see it and feel it, I have never seen anything despite trying so many different therapies, I've never seen tumors shrink away to nothing. And so I, I really, I get, I get concerned when people say, I'm just gonna go natural, you know, and I'm not gonna do surgery. And I think there's, there's a role for, uh, in early cancer to have the surgery. And then, and then the additional radiation and chemotherapy is optional and you need to be well informed. So the way that naturopathic uh, physicians can help is to inform the patients about, to sort of outside of standard care, to give a, a more, I would say, less biased perspective on whether this particular chemotherapy regime is going to work for you. In advanced naturopathic oncology, we're using things like, uh, we use a lot of intravenous therapies. I think intravenous vitamin C has a place, especially in ovarian cancer. Uh, we use mistletoe therapy as an immunotherapy. There's growing evidence for that. Um, so, and then there are patients who um, have gone through, there's have stage four cancer. Their cancer is progressing. They've done several rounds of chemotherapy and they say, I'm done with chemotherapy. I want to try something different. And in those patients, we will, uh, we, we're very interested in using um, bioflavonoids like quercetin and resveratrol and curcumin intravenously because they're so better uh, bioavailable. So that's like kind of the cutting edge. And hyperthermia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also important for our listeners and everyone to know that it's, again, everyone's doses are different mm -hmm. and, and so that's a factor. So it's still, you need to see someone like you, I feel like there's so much information and misinformation out there now and people are Google searching, you know, things like curcumin and quercetin. And it's like, that's that, I mean, yes, they obviously have great benefits, but what's the source? What, where are you getting this from? Who's, who's telling you where to get it from, you know, where to get it from. And, um, and all of those things are so important. That's why you need someone who's licensed in understanding this medicine. Um, instead of trying to do it yourself. I know, and a lot of patients just go online and, and, and as you say, some of it's good information, but I find a lot of patients underdose mm -hmm. um, or they're Sorry. using products that haven't, don't have any, um, you know, they're, they're, um, they're products that haven't been tested in any way and right. they're underdosing and they're not gonna get the benefits. So I think it's really important for, anybody who's been diagnosed with cancer to see a naturopathic physician at least once, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm more of like, we need, you need to do at least a few times to make sure yeah. that things are in line, but yeah, 
I mean, you need someone to streamline that information for you right. because there's so much information. And then plus, depending on the medications you're on, I just had a patient and he's on a um, number of different medications. And some of these things we just talked about interact with those medications. So we can't, rep, uh, we can't uh, recommend or prescribe those supplements. That's right. So that's, that's why you need someone who understands those interactions. Otherwise, it can be really unsafe. Um, Right. And so that's why it's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, oh, and then before, sorry, before we move on, I do want to ask you, so you said that you've been um, keeping a record of all of, you know, your survival rates of through your research. So can you give like a quick summary of what, what your, um, what your research has revealed? Yes, um, as I, can, I can do it very quickly. In um, stage four lung cancer, our survival data is better than anything that I've ever seen published. Um, in breast cancer, stage four breast cancer, same thing. Survival is, is better than anything that I've seen that's published um, in the medical literature. Um, we're, in, we're now, we have a study going, which will be done in two years, collecting uh, data from 12 integrative oncology clinics that are run by naturopathic physicians and uh, enrolling patients with advanced cancer to see which therapies, like we have clinics that specialize in hyperthermia, other clinics specialize in mistletoe, and we're looking for therapies that are winners, you know, that really make a difference in survival outcomes. Um, but, but so far, I think that what we've seen is um, at least, and, and also in, uh, I have one good controlled study in breast cancer that, that, and that's been published now, that quality of life has improved um, throughout that first year of chemotherapy when women uh, with breast cancer are, are uh, prescribed chemotherapy, much better quality of life. Yes, that's amazing. That's so exciting. Um, okay, so let's move on to the rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so you kind of already answered this, uh, but you can go ahead and give us your short, uh, quick response on this too. But what does Mahan Health mean to you? Mahan Health for in me, I know that I have Mahan Health when I have lots of energy, um, I feel happy, I can move rapidly, I have agility, and I, ha and I feel um, love for the people around me. So for me, um, it's my body being able to move easily without pain, mm -hmm. but it's mostly the experience inside, you know? Um, and I imagine, well, I don't know if this is true, but I imagine that you could be a person with serious illness, but still have great health by my criteria. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know, it's, a, it's an idea. Um, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that great health is more than you know, good cholesterol or numbers on a lab report or images you know, showing that your tumor is smaller. It's how you feel. I mean, what else could it yeah. be? I absolutely love that. That's such a different perspective from so many people's uh, responses that I've heard thus far. And I really like that, the idea of like 
it's an experience. It's a feeling. Right. And you know, when you go out to the waiting room in your clinic and you just look at the patient waiting for you, you can tell right away what their state of health is. You know, you can tell that, oh, they're doing terribly. You can see it or they're, they're, they have a vibrancy to them. So I think we're capable of detecting the vis, you know, the life force. It's like a life force and you can see it in a person's body in their eyes. And and I assume that when the visa is shining, that I can see it in another person, that inside they have that feeling mm-hmm. of well-being, of yeah. energy, of power, you know, power. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And for those of you listening who don't know the visa is the vital force, the energy within us. Um, okay. So the next question, the next two questions, they could be related. They don't have to be. Uh, but the next few questions are, what was the most difficult health change for you to make? And what are you still working on? Yeah, the hardest thing for me has always been exercise. And um, I, I have been a runner. And, but then a, a few years ago, I kept twisting my ankle and I stopped running. Mm-hmm. And for me, <clears throat> if I don't run or dance or walk great distances I don't feel good mm-hmm. and my visa is low so yeah. for me it's around moving my body and it's much easier to sit in this chair and talk to you than it is to go outside and go for a run so exercise for me is like the biggest challenge okay well thank you for sharing uh, okay the last question I have for you is if you could have a commercial about anything of course, health-related, it's public service announcement, what would it be about and why? I would like to, uh, I would like to announce to the world um, to pay attention to the revolution in psychedelic medicine because it may really teach us the true nature of reality. And we've been living for the last 300 years in Western culture under which may be the delusion of scientific materialism. So my commercial would be, hey, don't, don't believe everything you think and consider having at least one experience of ego dissolution through fasting, vision quests, psychedelic medicines. Um, there's various ways to have those experiences, but I think that's really important to have at least once in your life. Yeah, very cool. I love that that phrase, ego dissolution. I love that so much. And I mean, other way. I mean, there's there are like you said, there are so many ways. If you're still fearful of psychedelics, there's meditations and things like yeah, that yeah. can that can help you get there. You can get there. There are many many paths to there, yeah. and everybody has to find their own one. I just fear for people who never realize that that's really a reality. Mm-hmm. And then they live their whole life kind of locked up in a tiny little closet and don't see the full reality of what we are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hopefully what this, this podcast, what I'm trying to do um, with your help is, is get that out there that we can, we can make these changes and I'm really excited about it. Okay. 
so the last thing, where can people find you if they're searching for you and, um, and do you have any asks? Um, I have, <clears throat> I can be found at Ames Institute in Seattle, A-I-M-S. Um, we have a nice website, you can find me. And then my ask is that I need to raise $2.2 million to fund the FDA uh, uh, approved trial of ayahuasca. So anybody out there that would like to um, help make that a reality, call me up. Yes, definitely. I, um, I don't know if you know who Tim Ferriss is. Yes, uh, you're the, yeah. about the ninth person who suggested <laughs> Tim Ferriss. Well, yeah. if you know him, I send know. him my way. Okay. I know. I'll send. I'll send him this podcast and okay, uh, good. let him know. Well, so we'll hopefully we'll get in touch with him. He can hopefully he can help out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sandish, for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, great interview. You're wonderful. Hey, <laughs> oh, bye bye. <laughs> bye. I hope you all enjoyed that episode and got to gain some wisdom from the amazing Dr. Sanish. I know I did, so I hope you all did as well. And as I stated earlier, and she stated in the episode, she is currently looking for funding for her research study in this area of ayahuasca and cancer care. And again, I'm not asking you all to donate, but I am going to ask you to share this episode with Tim Ferriss because he is someone who could potentially have a great impact in this field and we can make real strides in cancer care. I'm so excited for the future of medicine as we discuss in the episode. There's so many great things going to happen in the future. And um, so so let's start making that future happen sooner. So, so please share this episode with your friends and family. If you enjoyed it, please share this episode with Tim Ferriss and get this out there. Um, all right. I will have Dr. Standish's information in the show notes below, but that is all I have for you all today. As she stated in the episode, there are ways to experience these feelings without doing psychedelics like meditation, float tanks, exercise, and more that can allow us to work through our stressors and our traumas without actually taking the psychedelics. So, so that's something that we can start with right now at home. But remember to keep working on optimizing your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health so we can all collectively experience Mahan health together. All right, I'm wishing you all Mahan health and sending you all so much love and peace, and I will see you next time.